I'm speaking with the uh, talented and versatile uh, Dominic Lewis, who has quickly made a name for himself doing additional music on some of the biggest films coming out of Hollywood, as well as hitting the ground running with scores like Freebirds, uh, The Duff, and now the feature film continuation of the hit series Spooks. Uh, uh, Spooks the Greater Good starring Game of Thrones is uh, Kit Harington uh, he is also co-scoring the upcoming series The Man in the High Castle with his friend and collaborator Henry Jackman uh, the series is being produced by Ridley Scott and will be on Amazon Prime uh, Dom thank you so much for talking today so great to speak again yeah, really great. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Um, so you've been busy since we chatted last time about Freebird. So many great projects you've been working on, and uh, there's actually one really big project I need to congratulate you on. Uh, you're going to be a dad soon. So <laughs> Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's scary. It's about eight weeks away, so wow. it's exciting. So, yeah, congrats to you and your wife. That must be such an amazing time for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. It's uh, it's a trip, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not, never do it. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I'm getting married next year, so I'm a little bit behind. Oh, congrats! <laughs> I didn't know that. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we got engaged uh, in October, so we're we're trucking along there. <laughs> um, but so yeah, let's jump right into Spooks. Uh, uh, now, people around the world may know the series as MI5, um, but in the UK, it's known as Spooks, which is a little colloquialism for uh, for spies. Um, so for anyone who isn't aware. Um, Spooks is a very popular series on BBC One in the UK. It's a great take on the spy genre, which has been, you know, monopolized by James Bond in the UK and Jason Bourne in the US, so we can finally have, you know, something a little bit, a different take on it. So how did you get involved on this film? You know, how did this film come to be, first of all? Because you didn't work on the on the series at all, did you? No, I didn't work on the series. Um, it was just one of those things that um, my agent got in touch with me and said, we're going to put you up for this. They need an English composer. Um, we're going to put you up for this movie, Spooks. And I was yeah. like, oh, I love Spooks, because I'd watched all the shows, and I think it went on for 10 seasons. And um, Barat, director, did the very first one, the original one. Right. And um, so, yeah, my agent put me up, and they were kind of toing and froing because, you know, I'm still trying to make a name for myself, so I'm not necessarily there yet. Right. And um, so Bradley rings me, my agent, and says, do you think um, John Powell would say something to them? <laughs> so it was uh, a familiar route. So we got John involved, and I think he spoke to Ollie Madden, the executive producer, and said, yeah, you need to use this guy. And and they come, and they went with his uh, recommendation, roughly, again. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he was kind of the, the word for, for Freebirds. He kind of got you that project, too, right? Yeah. So yeah. I owe him a lot. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's kicking it back and relaxing, so I guess he can make a phone call every now and then right now. <laughs> well, he's on right, sabbatical. yeah, no, I, I called him first just to make sure it was okay. Right. And um, he said to me, yeah, no, I'll, I'll say all that stuff, just uh, don't rip my Bourne score off, because uh, <laughs> a lot of the TV show was uh, very close to Bourne, apparently. Yeah. So I assured him and promised him that I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Um, so the, when you started on this, did you, uh, I mean, you, you, obviously you said you love spooks and you watch the show. So did you look at what, you know, Paul Leonard Morgan, uh, Jenny Musket, Sheridan Tongue did with the music at the series at all? Or did you kind of shield yourself from that to kind of find a new, uh, sound direction for the film? Yeah, I tried to not listen to it. I mean, I, I know the, the main theme really well, mm -hmm. and I think it was a conscious decision for Barrett and I not to go down that route. Just because in this particular instance, in the movie, the main titles, as you will, uh, 
there's lots of story going on behind it this time. It's not just credits rolling. Right. There's a backstory going on. Um, so I think if we were to do the the main title for Spooks, it would kind of take people out of the of of the new story. So we didn't we didn't do that. Um, and I kind of on what John said, I kind of didn't want to go down the route of the. Uh, the TV series, just because it was it was that kind of familiar sound, and I wanted to do something a little bit different and push the envelope. And luckily, Barrett allowed me to do that. Um, so I wanted to go kind of a bit more obscure electronic, right. using organic noises and kind of messing with them, um, and at the same time having a melodic through line to keep people to story and keep people interested. Right. So. I hope I did that. Oh, no, you did. and That's <laughs> that the goal, uh, anyway. <laughs> I know, and I listened to it. That's what I loved about it. It kept me hooked throughout the entire time. And, and even in the quieter moments, you know, it was really, you know, it was working hard. You know, usually scores will take a backseat and kind of mellow out. But even in those subtle, uh, quieter moments, you know, definitely were, were getting things done. And I really, really enjoyed it. And, um... But so, you know, the, you know the, you're talking about the spy genre, and it has certain archetypes that come into play, and I guess a certain approach could be expected, and you're trying to push away from that. But, did, I mean, did you try to break the mold of the genre completely, or did you kind of lovingly embrace it at times, kind of the familiarity of it? Yeah, I mean, there are moments when you can't really shy away from it because the picture's telling you what to do. Right. Um, but at the same time, just to go slightly off the point, the there's a difficulty when you move from TV to the big screen. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought they did it really well. A lot of reviewers said otherwise, and it doesn't quite fill the big screen. And when I first saw it and what it was temp with and what the music was trying to do was actually making the picture even smaller. Um, so what I was trying to do was just to match what the picture was doing. And that wasn't the generic route. Right. Um, so, but to go back to your question, there are moments in there where you have to do the thing it's crying out to do, because otherwise, <laughs> you know, you're you're alienating the audience. Right. Um, so there are moments where I do kind of slip in there, but not overtly, because otherwise it gets a little bit cheesy. And and when you see the movie, if you ever get to see it in this country, <laughs> um, you'll you'll know what I mean. It's not. It's different. It's uh, it's a little grittier. It's a little more English. It, it doesn't need that Hollywood thing, you know? Right. And it, would, it would look stupid if you did that. Right. No, and you can get, and you get that from the score, and you definitely did that with, um, you had some great electronic textures, and, um, you know, some, I mean, some of the sounds that I, I was describing to you that I really like, you know, it was kind of like a, ro- a rope creaking, and then you had cell phone interference, and lots of other things that work in layers. So, I mean, when you're building those electronic layers and those kind of synth soundscapes, does it take a while to experiment on what sounds work together? Uh, did you just happen to choose, oh, this would be good and this would be good. Let's see if it works together. I mean, how do you know they would work together in kind of a blending thing? Yeah, we did a whole, I mean, we did a whole sampling session um, on loads of different internet-based spy communication-based noises. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them went into the uh, the audio graveyard. But, you know, we've got things in there from typewriters to dial-up noises to mouse clicks to keyboard clicking, all sorts of things. And then from having all those sounds together, I just started throwing them together, reversing them, sticking delays on them, all that, all the usual stuff. 
and uh, seeing what worked together, like you said, and um, the ones that did stuck and the ones that didn't got thrown away and <laughs> just went on from there, really. And uh, what, what was the most uh, bizarre thing you ended up sampling? Oh, um, the most bizarre thing... The dial-up was pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, and we've also got some phone noises in there, which um, we tuned. So we were, you know, we could do different melodic things with them and the busy signal on the phone that was distorted and delayed. That They were kind of weird. And a de- delayed typewriter and all that kind of stuff. But I guess the coolest thing, not the weirdest thing, but the coolest right, thing was cool. the, with, the, with the mouse clicks that we sampled. Um because every director in a in that genre wants the ticking clock, something's going to happen. That feeling. Right, right. So instead of you know regular tickers, I experimented with mouse clicks, and then I had um, Antonio, my guy, um, program it on the keyboard in a way that when you push a key down, it's the click. An old school mouse, not a new one that doesn't make any sound. But it's the click down, and when you lift your finger off the keyboard, it's the click up. And that was really cool for me because normally you've just got one sound when you hit a key. But when I lifted my finger off, it was it enabled me to kind of experiment with new rhythms and stuff that wasn't quite in time and cool stuff like that. So that was really interesting and a new thing for me. So it's cool. That's awesome, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when, you're, when you're, a composer's working on an action suspense uh, film like this, I imagine you really have to rely... Uh, on the edit being good because if the tension isn't built well in the editing, then I'm sure your builds and arcs become harder to craft. But well, you know this the score. If you I mean, when you get a chance to listen to it, when people experience it, there's some a lot of long track times, and it seems like you're able to manage some really kind of fantastic builds here. So does timing and and pacing become more of a challenge uh, the longer the track needs to be for certain scenes? Yeah, definitely. Um, the thing with this is that. Bart was kind to me in one way, but not in another, where he gave me a locked cut. But then we didn't, (laughs) because it was locked, there wasn't that much time left on the back end to get it finished. (laughs) But, you know, it was what it was. So it wasn't, a lot of times with the process, you start with something, of the organic idea that that goes into the sequencer, and then you have to chop it and move it around because the picture is doing so much stuff. But with this, it just, it was what it was. So whatever came out my head first time round, my initial response to the picture kind of ended up being the thing. I mean, there were tweaks here and there and noises that he didn't like and maybe make more of this, as there always are. But um, having that lock cut was such a wonderful thing, one, for the time, and two, just because I was able to be creative and reacting to the picture and not having to think about, oh, well, I've got to cut a beat there because the cut doesn't hit now and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, say what you will, it does kind of muck up the music a bit and it's not your organic reaction to the to the movie so that was great and i think that's why those really long sections work right i hope yeah, yeah. <laughs> no they do that's the one thing i noticed and i i love when i hear that in a score when i when i you know i see tracks that are you know four minute five minutes six minute i'm like okay that's great because you get to you really get to hear the the music at work and really the narrative kind of uh, working too um, but you, you know, you've done such a, this is a fantastic entry in the espionage, you know, spy thriller genre. It's a really engrossing and entertaining score, but you know, if we're talking British spies, it's hard not to bring up James Bond. So let me ask you <laughs> if you could score any Bond film ever that's been made, what, what, what Bond film would you choose? 
Wow, that is a question. Um, oh, what would I choose? Sean Connery, no. would it be? <laughs> I, the thing is, I would, I would choose Sean Connery as the Bond of choice, uh-huh. as one should. However, <laughs> the one that always sticks in my mind is um, Live and Let Die, which isn't Sean Connery. Right. So if I could put Sean Connery in... Live and let die, <laughs> and then score that. That would be, that would be the way to go. Okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> no, yeah, I just, I've always got. When I think of Bond, I've always got this vivid memory of the. Do you remember the? I don't know if they're alligators or crocodiles. When uh, he's stuck in the middle of that, and he's um, running on their heads. Little, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he has yeah, to yeah. jump over their heads. I rem- <laughs> always remember that, and from watching it as a kid. Yeah, that was, and they had the Weird. great Baron Semity. It was the whole uh, New Orleans. Uh, yeah, kind of a voodoo, kind of Haitian type uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah some fun, that'd be some fun stuff to work with. Yeah, um, but um, you know, I'm really interested in the series that you know I, the pilot is on Amazon right now, uh, the Man in the High Castle, which you're doing with Henry. Um, but the the it got picked up for a full season, right? So we're the whole season is coming. It is coming. It's uh, I'm about to start scoring episode two in probably a, in the next week or so. Um, read the script and it's really really cool um, anything to do with that kind of world I'm obsessed with whether it be Second World War or I know this is an, an, alter, an alternate reality right. um, if the Nazis had won it's fascinating it's so strange the first time I saw it it was like wow this is Times Square with swastikas everywhere this is so weird but <laughs> so cool um, right. but yeah I'm obsessed with anything Second World War actually I've just had um my grandfather's ship from the Second World War tattooed on my forearm, so that'll give you an indication on how obsessed I am with wow. that part of history. <laughs> so and that's good. You have a personal connection to it. And for anyone who's not familiar, it's based on the Philip K. Dick story of an alternate uh, history where Nazis win World War Two and they're you know inc- uh, occupy America. Um, but I mean, you you and Henry scored the the pilot. I mean, what kind of groundwork do you even lay down? Uh, do you go back to the sounds of the late 40s and 50s, or are you trying to make it modern? I mean, what is what do we... I guess you I mean you haven't finished scoring the series, but is there anything we can expect of what the soundscape should be? Um, well, yeah, it's a really interesting conversation, and one I had recently with um, the director of the rest of the series, Dan Percival, um, on finding that sound right. of the streets of San Francisco, New York, the east and the west coast, on what they would be without the evolution of, you know, folk, pop, whatever music it is, mm-hmm. what what would it sound like? And I guess the quick answer is I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> and we're doing research into it. Um, I know in the pilot we had a lot of, uh, a lot, some kind of Japanese crooning, mm-hmm. which was popular around the time of the 40s. But then, you know, it wouldn't just stay there. It would evolve somewhat, but in a completely different way. So that's the really difficult thing we're dealing with now and trying to find what that sound is and where where music would go under that regime. So that's that part of it. In terms of the score, what we're trying to do is, you know, we went down the kind of minimalist route. Mm-hmm. Um and keep and, and pace was a really important thing for us because it's a slow burner that that pilot it is a slow burner there's a great twist at the end um but you've got to keep people in it 
Right, so right. there's a lot of bubbling things going on. We use the great thing for me is that we use a lot of cello, so I was able to get the cello out and, and play it. And the same with Spooks, actually. I played all the cellos on that as well. On Spooks, you did? Um, so that's been cool to get the cello out again. And thankfully, I have a computer to time and tune me, so <laughs> I sound great. I <laughs> know, uh, that's cool. Um, I, didn't know, I didn't know you were the, the cello and, and the Spooks thing, so that's really cool. It's yeah, a, yeah. That's awesome. I, I mean... I think if if the uh, the check would have been a little larger, I probably would have used somewhere else. But um, <laughs> as it did, it was uh, I needed to get in the ISO booth and do it myself. Um, so I have Antonio to thank, my assistant for timing and tuning and making me sound great. <laughs> um, but sorry, going back to Man in the High Castle. Um, yeah, we wanted to keep it um, kind of modern. We wanted to bring it up to date, um, but at the same time, it is a period piece. Right. You can't go completely modern and alienate people. So there's organic instruments, you've got clarinets, cellos. Um, we sampled uh, kind of a, uh, the banging on a piano, um, not banging, pen, like pencils on a piano, sort of a dulcimer type sound, but it's a bit thicker because you've got mm-hmm. the, the bigness of the piano. Um, and bell things not quite sure what type of bells they are, but they're bells to keep sort of the beauty of the character of um, Juliana. And But pace was the big thing for us. We wanted to keep it snappy and keep people moving through the episode. Um, so then we mixed organic instruments with, and there's some, there's some synth pulses in there. They're very subtle, but they're there. Um, so it's a kind of hodgepodge mixture of stuff, really. Well, it sounds but, so uh, interesting, not, yeah. It's not really like anything else. Um, I'm sure there is something somewhere, but <laughs> mainstream-wise, uh, it's uh, yeah, we're we're happy with it. We're proud of it, and um, looking forward to taking it to that next place where that is yet. Um, I'm not sure, having just read the second episode script, when we see the visuals, it'll probably become clearer right. on where they're going, and it and it'll depend on whether the story is in. San Francisco on the West Coast or on the East Coast or and there's that middle ground um, no man's land in the middle so and, and the second episode is based a lot in there mm-hmm. so we need to find a sound for that because we haven't really touched on that yet so that's going to be fun for the second episode yeah. I mean it's, it's exciting cool. yeah it's here it's great to hear uh, kind of ideas in their infancy and everything and I, I know there's a uh, I don't know if you're a gamer or not, but there's a, a game called Wolfenstein: The New Order, which kind of is a similar thing where the Nazis win World War II, and and I, I I haven't played it, I haven't listened, I don't even know who did the score, so it's always interesting to see those kind of alternate uh, alternate realities uh, from the past type thing. So it's a uh, always kind of breeding ground for pretty cool ideas. Yeah, I'm not a game actually, but that'd be cool. I, the only time I have played video games is um, when the first <laughs> on uh, the current subject when the first Medal of Honor came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, based on the Saving Private Ryan thing. Right. That's Michael J. Kino, and I was obsessed was, with... Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was obsessed with that game for, for a bit in university. Oh, but other than that, I, as a kid, I was you know, I wasn't, wasn't allowed to play video games. <laughs> Which I kind of thanked my mum for. <laughs> made me practice a bit more. Uh, kind of kept you <laughs> focused on the right on the right track. <laughs> Yeah, either uh, that or you know mucking around with my friends. But you didn't know that. Well, anyway. <laughs> uh, well, well, Dom. Uh, you know, you, thank you so much for your time. You've done some fantastic, uh, noteworthy, and such versatile work so early in your career. So it's so uh, 
it's such a, a pleasure for for us the listeners so I, I really can't wait to hear more uh in oh, the future thanks. and you have a really big fan here so thank you so much for your time oh thanks man appreciate it 